Hello, this is Pastor Patrick, and I'm here at the beautiful cemetery um, here just before you get to church. And um, I've been reading this as a devotional. It's the Reform Standards of Unity. It's a great edition. I, would, I love this edition. It's published by, um, I don't even know what it is. What does WSP stand for? Something, something published. It's a great, it's a great book. I can't recall where I got it, but it's a really, really good one. Reading the Belgic Confession here, and um, uh, it's, a, it's such a great confession of faith. I just read the, the section about Providence, Article 13, Article 14, the creation and fall of man, and his incapability of doing what is truly good. <clears throat> and I was thinking about, <clears throat> pardon me, I was thinking about um, Bible study at church this past Wednesday. We picked back up in John's Gospel and uh, we're talking about the necessity of unconditional election. John chapter 17, Jesus, you know, praying there, prays in, in John 17, verse 2, um, glorify your son, um, that your son may glorify you, and that you have uh, given him authority uh, to give eternal life to as many as you have given him, uh, for they were yours. And he speaks very clearly about his elect people that he's praying for. And he goes on there in the passage to speak of, I pray for these, I don't pray for the world. Now, he does pray for his disciples too, the, the 12, and, and mentions the son of perdition was the one that was lost. But then he also goes on to pray for everyone that would believe uh, through their name. And when he speaks of the giving of eternal life there, he's clearly referring not merely to his disciples because he's given eternal life to a lot more than just th just them. But I was thinking about um, why we have to have unconditional election if anyone's going to go to heaven. And we also have to have irresistible grace. We, we have to have the irresistible, invincible, effectual call of God uh, if anyone's going to ever uh, repent of their sin and, and believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, you know, earlier there in, in John's gospel, in John 8, 32, uh, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. And he speaks to his opponents there and says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they don't understand what he's talking about. They, they think he means, uh, just like everybody else in John's gospel, they, they interpret him literally as if they, they are literally owned and slaves of someone else. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about slavery to sin. Now, why do we say, and why does the New Testament say that man is not able? Man, no one is able to come to Christ. No one is able to subject themselves to the law of God. Man is not able, not able, not able to bear good fruit, etc. The real problem, the real issue there is that man has no desire to repent. The desire to let go of sin and lay hold of Jesus Christ, that desire, as Thomas Brooks said long ago, that desire does not grow in nature's garden. And apart from the new birth and apart from the heart of man, the seat of his highest affections being radically changed by the power, the irresistible power of God, uh, no one will ever have a desire to come to Christ or to repent. And so man, the reason scripture speaks of him that way, that he's not able, that man, man is unable to come to Christ. No one is able to come to me, he says in John six forty four. The main reason he's not able to is he doesn't want to. And you know, we always do what we want. That's why um, in the section of the Westminster Confession of God's decree, it says that violence is not offered to the will of the creature. What do they mean when they say that? What they mean is that God never forces anyone to do anything. No one ever does 
anything that they don't really want to do. In the, in the ultimate sense, we always do that which we most desire to do. And I've used the illustration because R.C. Sproul uses it. And it's a good illustration about uh, trying to lose weight. And he said, you know, I love ice cream, but I also want to be more fit. So uh, there's a battle that takes place, you know, a lot of times in the evenings, uh, standing in front of the fridge. I desire to eat ice cream, but I also desire to be more fit. So what am I going to do? Uh, depends on which desire is stronger that night. If the desire to be fit is stronger than the desire for ice cream, then he's going to refrain from eating ice cream. And if the desire to taste the ice cream and eat the ice cream is greater than the desire to be more fit, then he's going to eat the ice cream that night. <clears throat> but what's man's problem when it comes to repenting of sin and coming to Christ? He doesn't want to. Why not? Because he loves darkness. Think of John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This is the verdict, he says. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light. And so they refused to come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. And so men can even know that God's there. They can know that they should repent. But as long as he doesn't want to, as long as a man or woman doesn't want, doesn't desire to repent, they're not going to. As long as they love sin, they're not going to come to Christ. And so that's the real issue. I, I think often as I've gotten older, that the desire to be godly, the desire to be holy, <laughs> which is not as strong as it should be, but having that desire, the desire to, to despise my sin and to believe in Jesus and to be a student of the word of God, that desire didn't come from me. That desire did not arise from my heart, my, my black and darkened heart in sin. God changed it. And what does that mean when God changes the heart? Okay, it's not talking about a physical change or something like that. When the scripture speaks of, of man's heart, that no one is able to serve two masters because in his heart, he, he loves one and despises the other. It's talking about the highest seat of affection. And the way that God created man, he can only have one thing that is his highest affection. Only one. No one can serve two, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, I believe that is. No one is able, he says, to serve two masters because you'll love one and despise the other. So just remember that if you're a Christian, whatever you've got going on, you may be troubled by many things. There may be really hard providences and things that are really difficult and uh, tremendous heartache. I've got stuff like that going on in my life every day. Things that are, are an unending source of pain and heartache and sadness and sorrow. And I get, get to tears usually once every three days now. <laughs> I just have to sit and, uh, and I just feel that sadness and, and, and weep. But I am certain that God loves me because there's a desire that doesn't grow in nature's garden in my heart. And that desire is to follow Christ, to be holy, to love my wife, to love the church, to preach God's word. Without that change, without that regenerating work, I shudder to think what I might be doing these days. But whatever you've got going on, and you may have a lot of troubles if you're a Christian, there may be things that are devastating. You may have just found out you've got a terminal illness, or you may have lost somebody that you love. 
But an old friend, when I was at a real low point once, he sent me an email. And uh, this fellow is a dear friend. He still is a dear friend. And he was at my father's funeral. I hadn't seen him in a little while. It was so good to see him. He sent me an email and he knew I was not doing well. And he said, Patrick, did you wake up today repentant for your sins with your faith in Christ alone? If so, why do you have any doubt at all that God loves you? No matter what else might be going on, you need to rest in that assurance. And I thought, you know what? How, how quickly we take for granted that we have the greatest treasure there is. I know the creator of, of this, all this beauty that's all around me here and these tree, I'm looking at these beautiful trees and this beautiful place up on the hill here and looking at the surrounding area. I have fellowship with the one that made all of this. And he loves me. And how do I know that he loves me? Because Jesus died for me. And Jesus opened my eyes to see how, how evil I really am and how much I really need him to save me and to forgive me. And you know what? God is the God who is ready to pardon, eager to forgive. He's the one who will run down the road to meet you. Why do I ever doubt that? You go through hard things, you know? I know it's like, it's like the last thing you want someone to come and quote James chapter one, verse three, consider it pure joy when you experience trials of, of many kinds. Yes, I know in principle that that's true. And I'm thankful for that passage and thankful for all the other passages that teach that, that tribulation, you know, brings about perseverance and character and, and develops us and makes us more like Christ and everything else. But at the same time, um, a lot of times those kinds of things aren't, aren't helpful when you're in the throes of it and when you're really feeling the pain of, of hardship and loss and difficulty and things like that. But my faith's in Christ alone. And my faith has been in Christ alone since I was really, really even before I was 18. I always think I was converted when I was 18, but I understood the gospel and I understood I couldn't earn eternal life. But 18 is, is how old I was when everything changed. Suddenly I was at war with sin and before I really wasn't. But why? Where did that come from? It didn't come from me. It came into my life because God loves me. So when your father or mother leave you or abandon you and people leave or you have loss or you experience betrayal or hardship or heartache or anything else, remember what really matters the most. Remember what the true riches really are. That God loved you. Jesus died for you. If you're a Christian and you're trusting only in him, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Rest upon that. And know for sure that God has set his love upon you because the capacity and the ability to believe in Jesus comes only from the desire to depart from sin and trust in him. And that's a desire that doesn't grow in nature's garden. It only comes from the divine, irresistible, effectual call of God's grace to his electing, to his elect people that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see, predestination and election, it's not about debate and argument. It's where your feet can find a solid rock to rest when everything else in your life is a storm. Thanks for watching or listening.